We're in Leviticus this morning, chapter 10. Now Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it and laid incense on it and offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, This is what the Lord has said. Among those who are near me, I will be sanctified. And before all the people, I will be glorified. And Aaron held his peace. This is God's word. Father, we just ask now for your help. Um, We ask that you would... um, prepare our hearts, um, that you would prepare good soil in our hearts to receive your word, that it might um, take deep root and produce a harvest to your glory. I pray, Lord, that you would help me um, to speak the words that you would have me speak. Um, and Lord, we, uh, we remember and confess that only through your Holy Spirit can hearts be changed. And so, our, our dependence, our reliance is on you. We ask for your help, we ask for your grace, and we ask for your word to produce transformation in each one of our hearts this morning. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You guys can be seated. I realize that this is not the happiest of stories in the Bible. Um, but it's certainly a very important one, and one that I believe has a lot to say to us today um, as New Covenant believers. But before we get into and talk about this particular story from Leviticus, I want to recall and remember where we are in the overall big picture story of the Scriptures. Now, You've probably noticed that as you, as you open and read your Bible, there's all types of different literary forms in the Bible. So we read parts that are, that are historical narrative. We read law and poetry and wisdom and prophecy and apocalyptic. There's all types of different genres. But throughout the whole Bible and what binds everything together is one big, great, awesome story. From the first page all the way through to the last. And and what is so awesome about this story is that it's a true story. It's God's story in relation to his people. And the story begins, as we know in the book of Genesis, with the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit creating the world and taking mankind and putting them in the world he's created in a beautiful garden. But the purpose of creating human beings was not merely to give them a nice, enjoyable experience here on planet Earth. Adam and Eve were created to enjoy fellowship and communion with the living God. And that is awesome when we stop to think about that. You see, the the overarching theme of this great biblical story is Emmanuel, God with us. God created us to live in fellowship 
with himself, enjoying the love that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit had been enjoying together, sharing together for all of eternity. And for a short time, we read of how Adam and Eve enjoyed Emmanuel, God's presence with them, how they walked daily in the perfect presence of God. But then, of course, we get to chapter 3, and we read of how everything goes terribly wrong, how the people that God created to have fellowship with Him rebel against Him and are expelled from the garden, expelled from His presence. And that could have been the end of the story, right? It could have been over right there. But in fact, it's only the beginning of this great and marvelous story. Because God, in His mercy and His grace, never ceased in His work of creating and choosing and calling a people for Himself that He might dwell with them. So we read later in Genesis of how God chose Noah and established a covenant. And then we continue to read in Genesis and we read of how God chooses Abraham, right? And then God chooses Isaac and then God chooses Jacob and he establishes his covenant with them and with their descendants, And even when the people of Israel are enslaved in in Egypt, we read in the beginning of the book of Exodus, the Lord never forgets His promises that He made to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. He never abandons His people. And we read of, of how through His mighty hand, He brings them out of slavery. He brings them out of the land of Egypt through the Red Sea, to Mount Sinai, where he establishes his covenant with the people. And so in Exodus 25, verse 8, we read this. God says, And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. Exodus 25. So notice what's happening here in the story. Though, though not yet fully realized, God's dwelling with Israel in the tabernacle is a step towards the recreation of Eden. So Israel builds a tabernacle as God commands, which is basically just a, a big, really fancy tent, right? And... Within this tent is the most holy place, the Holy of Holies. And in this inner part of the tent, they put the Ark of the Covenant, which is where God's presence dwells. And we read uh, in the book of Exodus at the very end that the glory and the presence of God fills the tabernacle, fills the tent. And that's how the book of Exodus ends. But that raises for us then a really important question. And and the question is this. How is it that an absolutely perfectly holy God can dwell in the midst of a sinful people? How is that possible? And how might that work? And that is the exact question that the entire book of Leviticus deals with. How can a holy God dwell in the midst of a sinful people? So, in the first nine chapters of Leviticus, God commands a series of offerings 
to be sacrificed to him. And he establishes a line of priests through Aaron, the brother of Moses, who will offer these sacrifices on behalf of the people. And once a year, on the Day of Atonement, a very special sacrifice was to be made in which the high priest would enter into the tabernacle, into the Holy of Holies, and offer a sacrifice on behalf of the people in the presence of God. And so God would dwell with His people Israel, but because He is absolutely and completely holy, approaching His dwelling place was extremely serious business. Right? If... uh, If I decided that I really would like to meet the president or the vice president of the United States, and if I, you know, book a ticket to Washington and show up to the White House and hop over the fence and try to walk in the front door, there would be some serious consequences for that kind of behavior, right? So the people of God could not just walk into the Holy of Holies, into the presence of God. The Lord required that His dwelling place be honored and treated as holy at all times without exception. And ignoring the Lord's instructions on how to treat, how to approach His dwelling place was so serious that the penalty for doing so was death. And that brings us then to chapter 10, to our story that Caleb read for us this morning of Nadab and Abihu. Now, Nadab and Abihu were the sons of Aaron, the oldest two sons of Aaron, which means they were priests. So they were actually some of the few people who had access to the tabernacle. But the text tells us that they presented an offering before the Lord that they were not authorized to give. And so we read in this story that the Lord sent fire to consume them and they were killed before the Lord. Now, it's really easy to think that God is being way too harsh here, right? Have you ever read that story and thought, Come on, God. I mean, you know, okay, you know, they they made a mistake. They did something stupid. Um, but, you know, it's not it's not like they murdered someone or or did something really awful. You know, they were just trying to offer a sacrifice, and you know, they they disobeyed. Sure, but but did they really deserve to be struck down? Well. If we read further in the text, if we read further in chapter 10 and also chapter 16, um, it's apparent that Nadab and Abihu had actually been drinking before they went into the Lord's presence. So, So they were drunk and apparently they tried to uh, enter in to the most holy place, to the Ark of the Covenant, to offer this unauthorized fire before the Lord. And remember, as priests, their task was to uphold and honor God's sacred dwelling place. But instead, they got drunk, they tried to force their way into the most holy of holy places, and offer a sacrifice of their own design. 
And so great was their profaning of God's dwelling place, so great was their disregard for the dwelling place of God that the Lord put them to death. Because instead of honoring the Lord by obeying His commands, treating Him and His dwelling place as holy, they decided that they would approach the Lord on their own terms. So, God, we know that You said this and to approach You this way, but we're going to do things this way. We know that You said this, um, but we're going to do this instead. And listen... Don't miss this. The point that God is making to His people is that His dwelling place must be honored and treated as holy. And God will not allow His dwelling place to be polluted and profaned by sin. So, well, okay. Great story, right? So, thousands of years ago... The Israelites were supposed to honor this fancy tent and the Ark of the Covenant and they were supposed to respect it. Okay, I get that. What in the world does that have to do with me? What does that have to do with any of us today in the New Covenant? We don't have a tabernacle anymore Um, We don't offer sacrifices anymore. Why does this even matter? But I hope you see this morning that this story could not be more relevant for us today. You see, just as God dwelt with His people in a tent, just as God dwelt with His people in a temple later on, right? Just as God sent His one and only Son to be born of a woman that He might dwell with us, God still desires and purposes to dwell among His people today. Right? Emmanuel is not something from the past. God desires and purposes to dwell with His people today. But He doesn't live in a tent anymore, right? He doesn't live in some fancy building in Jerusalem. Where is God's dwelling place today? God's dwelling is in us, right? And so let's let's look at these passages from 1 Corinthians. Um, we'll start in chapter 3. It says, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. And he says again, Paul writes again in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Verses 19 and 20. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. So listen, God goes to great lengths throughout Scripture to show that His dwelling place must be honored and treated As holy. And then he goes and makes his dwelling in us. In you. 
and in me. And I'm here to tell you this morning that living with the understanding that we are God's dwelling place should have a radical impact on the way that we live. It should have a radical impact on how we view our personal sin. And it should have a radical impact on how we treat the people around us. Now what's interesting and really important to notice from these texts we just read, 1 Corinthians 3 and 1 Corinthians 6, is that Paul is actually speaking into two different contexts as he reminds the people that they are the dwelling place of God. So in chapter 3, Paul is addressing the church as a whole. And in chapter 6, Paul is addressing individual believers in the church as the temple of the Holy Spirit. That's important that we don't miss that. So I want to look at both of those chapters. And let's start in 1 Corinthians 6. And in 1 Corinthians 6, the context is sexual immorality. And so we're going to read the passage again, but we're going to start in verse 18 this time. So this is 1 Corinthians 6, 18 to 20. Paul writes, Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Now let me just stop really quick, and just for clarification... um, When the Bible is speaking of sexual immorality, that refers to any and all sexual activity outside of the marriage covenant. Okay? So, again, he says, Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought, with a price. So glorify God in your body. So what Paul is saying to the Corinthian church, um, because there's some pretty crazy stuff going on, he's saying, since we are God's dwelling place, God's Holy Spirit resides in us, how could we possibly profane that dwelling place by intentionally indulging in and pursuing sexual sin? Now, Once upon a time, um, I was a teenager, this is a long time ago, and I was dating a very beautiful girl, she's sitting in the back there, Um, I married her by the way, Um, and as a Christian young person who was dating someone, I had the same question that every Christian young person who is dating someone has. And that question is, how far are we allowed to go physically before we cross the line, right? So whether we're asking a parent or a pastor or a friend or whoever, um, you know, we want to we know, where is that line? And then once we're told where this supposed line is, then we, we say, oh, okay, now, so, so here's the line here. This is how far I'm allowed to go. By the way, that's the wrong question to ask. Um, 
for you young people, or, or not just young people, any of us. We'll talk about that in a second. But nevertheless, that's, that's the question we ask, right? Okay, where's the line? All right, so here's the line. Okay, now I know where the line is, so I'm, I'm going to kind of snuggle up to that line as close as I can get, right? And then I'm, I'm going to kind of tiptoe the line, but I'm not crossing the line, right? So I'm, I'm still okay. But, you know, af- after a while, you know, that, yeah, that's not as fun anymore. So, you know, maybe I can just kind of lean over that line just a little bit. But I'm, you know, I'm still on this side. I'm still okay. But, you know, uh, you know that's not quite enough. I'm going to kind of get, get one leg over there. And, you know, you, you live that way and you do that long enough. And eventually you fall, right? Eventually, if you play with fire enough... You get burned. So, treating sin in a way that says, how far can I go without going too far, would be like an Israelite saying, well, I wonder how close I can get to the Holy of Holies without getting killed. And that would be a really foolish question to ask, right? Um, I remember... um, uh, in uh, one of my teachers in high school, um, he was he was telling us a story once of when he was younger, and you know sometimes guys high school college age don't always do the smartest things. But he was with a couple of buddies, and they were doing like a campfire, and uh, and so you know they started playing and messing around with the fire and uh you know like how close can we get to this without getting burned and so they were like jumping over the fire and you know just doing silly stuff like that well one of his friends so so not my teacher but one of his friends got the really brilliant idea that oh i've i've got some lighter fluid with me and let's start playing with that a little bit And then he had an even better idea of, you know, I'm going to try jumping over the fire while I squirt some lighter fluid on the fire. And spoiler alert, he got burned and ended up in the hospital. But listen, asking how much we can get away with, how much sin we can get away with, is a foolish question and it dishonors the Lord. It dishonors the Lord. What we should be asking is, how can I honor the Lord as holy in this relationship? How can I honor the Lord as holy in how I relate to the people around me? How can I honor the Lord in His dwelling place as holy in how I spend my time when I'm alone and there's no one watching? How can I honor the Lord in His dwelling place as holy in the way that I live my life. Church, are we passionate about personal holiness and godliness? Kevin DeYoung, uh, he's, a, he's a pastor and an author um, who I respect very much and look up to. Um, he has a book called The Whole, H-O-L-E, The Whole in Our Holiness. I highly recommend it. I hope you guys read good Christian books. Um, uh, It's been uh, such an encouragement to me, uh, such a help to build my faith. Um, But this book is called The Whole in Our Holiness. I highly recommend it to everyone here. But in the book he writes, The Whole in Our Holiness 
is that we don't really care much about it. He says, My fear is that as we rightly celebrate and in some quarters rediscover all that Christ has saved us from, we are giving little thought and making little effort concerning all that Christ has saved us to. There is a gap between our love for the gospel and our love for godliness. You see, we cannot delight in Jesus without delighting in His commands. When we sin sexually, when we lie, when we gossip, when we discriminate, when we're proud, when we choose hate instead of love, we dishonor and profane the dwelling place of God. And church, that's serious. That's serious. But remembering and calling to mind that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit should produce in us an earnest desire for holiness and for godliness, to be like Christ. So, we have another passage though, right? So don't forget about 1 Corinthians 3. Again, in 1 Corinthians 3, Paul says that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. But this time, he's not just addressing individual believers in the church, but he's speaking to the church as a whole. So, as individual believers, we're referred to as the temple of the Holy Spirit, but corporately, we are also referred to in Scripture as the temple of the Holy Spirit. So listen to this passage in Ephesians 2, um, verse 19 to 22. Paul says this. He says, So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In Him, you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So, we are not just called to personal holiness, um, but we're also called to corporate holiness as the body of Christ. In 1 Corinthians 3, Paul is addressing disunity, a lack of unity in the church. So in the Corinthian church, you have different groups and factions. And one group says, well, you know, uh, we're with Paul. And then there's another group over here that says, well, we're with Apollos. And then there's a third group that says, well, you know, we're actually more with Peter. And so they're arguing about who should be preeminent in the church. And, And Paul is saying, wait a minute, Jesus is preeminent. Jesus is the one we worship. We were baptized into Christ. You weren't baptized into Paul. You weren't baptized into Peter. So imagine if at Northridge Life Church we had different groups and you have a group here that says, well, you know, we're with Mark Sharp. And uh, that's our guy. And then, you know, there's another group that says, well, you know, we're, we're with David Waltz. And there's a third group that says, well, you know, we prefer Paul Anders. We're with him. And another group says, well, we're with Tom Hall and, you know, whoever, on and on and on. And then we're just fighting with each other. What kind of witness do you think that would be to the outside world? 
You see, when we fail to love each other the way that Jesus has called us to, we dishonor the dwelling place of God. Right? When we fight over politics, when we bicker about theological differences, we dishonor the dwelling place of God. When we treat people differently based on their race, based on their age, based on their gender, based on their personality, we dishonor and profane the dwelling place of God. But when I look at my brother, when I look at my sister, and I realize and I remember that they are the temple of the Holy Spirit, it should cause me to treat them with great honor and great respect and great dignity and great love because, because the living God dwells in them. Husbands, your wives are the dwelling place of God. That should have a serious impact on how you treat them. Wives, your husbands are the dwelling place of God. Parents, your children are the dwelling place of God. Children, your parents, as much as they embarrass you, are the dwelling place of God. God calls us to personal and to corporate holiness. And you can't just choose one or the other, right? I've, I've talked to people that are, you know, really passionate about loving their neighbor, but don't really care about personal holiness. That doesn't work. And I've talked to people that are really, really passionate about personal holiness, and they don't really care about loving their neighbor. That does not work. If we are passionate about social justice while living in a sinful sexual relationship, we dishonor the Lord and His dwelling place. If we love and serve our neighbors while embracing a pornography addiction, we dishonor the dwelling place of the Lord. On the flip side, if we work hard to live a life of purity, but turn a blind eye to racism and injustice and the disenfranchised, we dishonor the dwelling place of God. If we work hard at our personal holiness, but then we fight with those who disagree with us, we dishonor the dwelling place of God. God is with us. He dwells in us. So may He always be glorified in us and through us. Always. Now, um, before we close, um, I think it's really irresponsible to preach this message without shining a huge spotlight on the extravagant grace of God, our Savior. Because the truth is, if we're honest, um, we have all, like Nadab and Abihu, dishonored the Lord's dwelling place, right? I know I have. 
We all deserve to be struck down by the just wrath of God. But thanks be to God that when we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Thanks be to God for the blood of Jesus that covers our sin. Thanks be to God for our high priest who has gone before us into the Holy of Holies that we might enjoy the presence and the fellowship of God. So, always remember church, always remember, never forget that you are saved by the grace of God. But also, always remember, may we never forget that we are the dwelling place of God and that the person sitting next to us is the dwelling place of God. And may we here at Northridge Life Church always strive to live in a way that honors the Lord and His dwelling place as holy. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, it is, it is beyond humbling that You have chosen to make Your dwelling place in us, that You desire to dwell with Your people. Lord, even when we are unfaithful, you never break your covenant promise, your covenant love towards us. You never cease pursuing your people, loving your people, keeping your people. And Lord, for that, we are so incredibly grateful. Lord, and we acknowledge that we, we never deserve to be saved. We didn't, we didn't do anything to deserve your grace, but that it's freely given, Lord. And so we thank you that we are covered by your grace. We are covered by the blood of Jesus. Um, And thank you that even when we turn from you, that you're always calling us back to repentance and calling us back to fellowship with you, Lord. But we do want to repent of of the ways that we have dishonored your dwelling place, that we have failed to treat you as holy. Lord, and we ask that through the power of your Holy Spirit, the indwelling of your Holy Spirit, you would help us and cause us to walk in a way and live in a way that honors you, um, that shows the world how great and awesome and loving and good you are. So again, Lord... We humble ourselves and we thank you. We thank you that your dwelling place is with us and within us. And what what an incredible privilege, what an awesome privilege that is. And so we glorify you, Lord. We honor you. May you always be honored and glorified in us and through us, Lord. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I, I don't think there is, there is a better reminder for us week after week of Emmanuel, God with us, than being able to come to the Lord's table together. Because remember, God's presence is no longer in a tent. It's not in a building. It's not in a temple. But God's presence is in us. And God is present with us in a special way as we come and we celebrate at His table.
Father, thank you for your body broken for us and your blood spilled for us in order that we might dwell with you. Father, thank you that your blood of the new covenant was given for the forgiveness of our sins. Thank you that through your sacrifice, we have new life and the hope of everlasting life. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you guys would stay standing, um, I want to read a benediction over you. And really, um, uh, this benediction is um, the conclusion to the sermon. Um, Because as as all of you know, um, the Holy Spirit dwells in us, and that is an awesome and wonderful thing, right? However, Emmanuel, God with us, we know, has still not been completely and fully realized. And as believers in Jesus, we look forward to a day when we will dwell physically in the presence of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And because of that, no matter what happens in the world around us, we have incredible hope. And so if you would put your hands in a receiving posture, and I want to read the benediction over you from Revelation chapter 21, verse 3, which says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. Amen. The Lord bless you.